welcome uh, to part six of our series, Lead Like Jesus, which means we're literally at the end of a series, but that's okay. There's a lot of content, even if you're, it's the first time for you today. Um, but uh, we're wrapping up the series. We're going to jump in to something we all know, unfortunately, a little bit too well, and that is talking about hypocrites. Really exciting topic today, I know. Um, yeah, <laughs> it, it's that thing you do, that thing you see other people do when they say they're standing for something, they value something, they believe in something, this is their truth, this is their value system, and then they do something completely different. I'm sure you never see that on social media or in politics or anywhere in between, right? And, and then as much as we don't want to admit that we do it, I mean, the honest truth is, we do it too, because sometimes it's hard to see, and sometimes we just don't want to believe that we're actually hypocrites. But we definitely, definitely are able to see other people when other people are hypocrites. Here's a couple of examples of some hypocrisies I thought that were kind of funny, okay? Um, it's a little cartoon. It says, it looks like our nosy competitor is spying us on us again. And he knows that because he has a telescope, Okay. This one, I love this. This is uh, all for, um, you know, the, the green revolution here. I love nature. A single plant in the middle of a city. Love just getting to the great outdoors, you know? Uh, I, I love this one. This speaks personally a little bit to me. Um, buy one, get one free. The book is Declutter Your Life. Yes. Or a personal favorite that's close to every Christian. Um, and we need some Christmas cards to get the ones made of recycled paper. No point in wasting trees. Yes, it's a, it's a nice Christmas. So anyways, sometimes, um, you know, sometimes we recognize that we're hypocrites. You know, sometimes we'll acknowledge it or someone will bring it to our attention. And, and we generally respond with a phrase, you know, like, oh, why did I do that? You know, I never thought it that way. Um, and it can be generally sometimes mundane. Uh, but unfortunately, the hypocrisies that most of you all know too well, most that I know, some of you online know this as well, those kind of hypocrisies are, are really hurtful, are actually pretty painful. They're the moments when you realize you've been lied to, you've been taken advantage of, uh, it's pe pretty painful. Maybe you're seeing that in someone else's life when they come to realize that the person that they've been with or dating or their boss or someone made a promise and they didn't keep it and, and they ended up just being uh, hypocrites after all. Um, and, and it is painful. It's painful when you're on the receiving end of that. It's painful when you see it in other people's lives. Um, hypocrisy is just, just a really negative thing. And unfortunately, uh, the Christian church uh, Christianity, Christians in general, unfortunately have a bit of a stereotype for, you know, kind of being notorious for pushing a value system, but then living contrary to that very same value system and not following what they say. Um, that's somewhat of the reason why we say uh, here at Infuse, we're a church for imperfect people, because from the get-go, we don't want you feeling like you have to come in and live a life or claim that you live a life that's different than the one that you already do. Um, that you have to, you know, be perfect so that you all look around and it's like, oh, everybody's dressed up nice, I'm dressed up nice, even though, you know, generally you don't feel very nice, right? You don't have to live a life that's contrary to what you actually do so you can be honest because that's how you grow. Um, we don't use that phrase, imperfect people, as an excuse. Um, we don't want to excuse behavior or excuse our own behavior, but we're also acknowledging that we 
try to get better. We try to strive for a better, higher bar. Um, in Christianity terms, we strive to f- be followers of Jesus, but we often fall short and we're working at it. And we want to be humble and willing to hear feedback and grow and live better in better alignment with Christ. But uh, a lot of times we, we do fall short. Um, now, Jesus was unfortunately, or fortunately, depending on how you look at it, pretty straightforward and direct and honestly, pretty angry with hypocrites in general. Um, you see that throughout his ministry, uh, through the gospel narratives like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if you're familiar with those. Uh, we're gonna read part of a chapter today, and this chapter is literally pretty much a whole chapter where Jesus just goes off on hypocrites. That's how much he really doesn't like hypocrites. And we don't have time to read the whole chapter, but I'm really encouraging you, when you go home uh, today or after service today, you know, pop in some AirPods and listen to... Um, Listen to Matthew chapter 23, that's the one we're going to be in today, uh, or read it yourself, and you'll see just how much Jesus loved, loved, loved hypocrites. But we're going to look at this um, because Jesus focused his attention on a particular group. If you grew up in church, I, I knew I heard this a lot growing up in church. I had no idea what they were. Nobody ever explained it to me, but I knew that Jesus wasn't a huge fan of the Pharisees. And the Pharisees, uh, what we're going to look at today, was a group essentially middle management. So, you know, in a company, they're like, the director or the senior manager or something. Um, Or if you grew up Catholic, that's like the bishop level. You're not a priest. You're not the pope or cardinal. You're kind of right there in the middle, okay? Uh, That's middle management. But they were still considered, this Pharisee group was still considered a very holy and perfect people. Like if you saw them walking around on a day-to-day basis, you'd know they were a Pharisee. Because they wanted you to notice they were a Pharisee. They wanted to see how they wanted you to see how perfect and holy that they were. They wanted you to see how good they were and notice their religiosity, which um, reality is some Christians do that today as well. Uh, but bes- behind the scenes, you kind of suspected that they didn't live exactly like they preached, right? Which again happens today. In our world, right? You see the perfect pastor, you see the perfect person on TV, or you flip through the channels and you get to that channel and they're yelling at people and they're screaming at the TV and all that stuff and they're screaming at you and all the things you do bad. And you kind of sit there and you're like, yeah, I get you're screaming at me, but how's your own life? You know, you're a little suspicious that they're behind the scenes, they they might be being a bit of a, a hypocrite. And Jesus knew that that was a reality. And so Jesus really adamantly addressed hypocrisies and the dangers of it, and I think will help us to understand essentially what hypocrisy is, why it's so dangerous, and then what we can do about it, especially if we're going to be in a role of leadership. Because as we've talked about through this whole series, everybody's a leader. Because whether or not you like it, you influence other people's decisions. And when you influence other people's decisions or what they say or what they do, you've essentially led them and they've essentially followed you. So we want to be wise with our leadership potential and, and power, essentially, that we, that we all have. So this is how Matthew chapter 23 starts. Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, so the crowds were there listening to him, the scribes, so essentially the, the people who really, they're essentially lawyers in today's terms. They worry about the law of the Jewish nation, which was set out in the Torah, the first five books of our modern day Bible and of the Jewish Bible. The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat, which um, is actually a literal seat. Uh, I should have actually brought a picture because I have a picture of when I was in Israel. There's uh, literally a seat in the temple and it is the seat of Moses. And it's, you know, ornate and carved. And the most important 
a priest or Pharisee or rabbi in the temple would sit in this place of honor. And so Jesus says, hey, these people, they do sit in this position of power. And therefore, you really should listen to what they teach. And you really should follow it as well. But, right? But, and this is a big one, do not do as they do, for they do not practice what they teach. They do not practice what they preach. I do not like green eggs and ham. No, but they do not practice what they teach. They're hypocrites, to which the crowd says, I knew it, you know? I knew behind that, you know, shiny exterior, that shiny facade that they put on behind the scenes, it's not really as good as it really looks on the outside. I mean, come on, like how many normal religious people do you hear of? I'm actually quite shocked the number of people that I interact, um, not just in ministry, but through my daily life and my other career paths, um, that are shocked to find out that I'm a pastor. And they're kind of intrigued by it because as they then tell me, they're like, well, you're kind of normal. And I was like, yes. And, and some of you heard me make this joke before. I always tell them, I'm like, yes, I was human before I became a pastor. I mean, it's almost like they expect me to be like a werewolf or something. You know, I was a human and then, yeah, I got bitten by a werewolf and now I'm crazy or something, you know? And it's like, what do we do with you? And like, you know, they want to ask you questions and figure out and poke you and figure like, what, are you real? You know, is this, are you a normal religious person? Like, yeah, I'm a normal, normal Jesus follower, a normal pastor. And for some reason, that's just a strange thing. But the reality is it's strange because of all the hypocrisy that they have come to know and experience. And probably you have too, but it's important. And the reason why we have to talk about this is because hypocrisy, especially in the hands of religious leaders, is dangerous because truth is truth, even in the mouth of a liar. If a liar who's perpetually lying and telling falsehoods and hurting other people holds up a pen and says, this pen has black ink, it's true, it does. Because the truth can still be a truth even in the mouth of a liar. And that makes it really dangerous. Because we generally assume that when someone speaks truth, they live that truth too. But Jesus says that's not how it works. And your life experience has taught you that's not how it works. Unfortunately, how it works is people break trust. They lie and they cheat and they get greedy. They go behind your back. And it breaks trust. And it's really dangerous when that trust is broken because then that trust is never gonna come back as full as it ever was before. Like if you have 100% trust in someone and someone breaks your trust, now it's at 98%. You're never gonna let them get back to that 100% because there's always gonna be a part of your mind that says, yeah, but they broke my trust once. Couldn't they do it again? And the more and more that trust is broken, the more and more hypocrisy seeps in, the more and more chance for progress and growth and relationship to be stymied because of that break in trust. And this is what the Pharisees did all the time. This is what these religious leaders did all the time. They preached a truth. They'd say, honor your father and honor your mother, which is true. That is a truth that we should do. We should honor our parents. But in reality, they were actually stealing from their parents and not supporting them and carrying them, especially as they aged and got to a stage of their life where they were vulnerable. And Jesus called them out on it. I just read a post um, on social media and it kind of took me 
off guard for just a second because I was trying to process like what the post was really about because it was just a list of last names. And there was probably like 20, 25 names in this list. And I became to figure out because some of the names I recognized, they were last names of pastors who in the last 10 years have morally or ethically failed in ministry and left. But the big deal about these particular pastors is they pastor churches more or less that were bigger than 15,000 people on an average Sunday. Their attendance was 15,000 people or more. And they were no longer in ministry because of how they had morally failed for various reasons or how they had embezzled or how they had hurt people. And I thought about that. I thought about the harm, just the math alone. Think about that. Of 2025 or so pastors with 15 or so thousand peoples each, I mean, you're looking at a net effect of impacting half a million to a million somewhere in there amount of people just on those few people alone, just on a handful, 20, 25 people impacted negatively the name of Christianity, the name of Jesus because they were a hypocrite. And then the problem is, this is the most dangerous part of it, is then it makes you question all the truth that they ever taught. Because you look at that pastor who was on TV, he was fancy. And you say, well, if they lived contrary to what they taught, then what they taught, was that really true? And that's the dangerous part of hypocrisy is it probably was true. There probably was some really good things that they said, but now people are gonna turn their back on what was originally truth. And truth isn't gonna hold up like it should have or could have because of their decision even if it's a good truth, even if it's a helpful truth, even if it's a truth that you desperately need to know and hear, you're not gonna hear it anymore because of the behavior of the person, the liar who spoke it. And it makes you question Jesus. It makes you question God. For some of you, you, you found out that things in your church growing up were kind of a lie, kind of a half-truth. And the more and more you figured that out, the more and more you questioned if what they preached was actually true, the more and more you walked away. And this was your story. This is why you haven't been back to church in a long time or ever, or maybe why you're starting to watch just online because you're not sure if it's worth trusting the church or a pastor again. Totally get it. I've been there because of the hypocrisy. And I'm sorry for that. And if I could apologize on behalf of all pastors and churches, I would for your loss, for the sin that was directed towards you and that hurts you. And we can look at this and we can feel really depressed about the reality of the church today, the reality of hypocrisy today. But unfortunately, hypocrisy will continue. But to me, the reminder here, the lesson, one of the lessons that could be learned is why we need someone that's a perfect example of what humanity should be. That's why we need someone to cut through the hypocrisy and actually is and embodies truth lives truth, teaches truth, is true. Someone that you can always trust. It's why we need Jesus. Because who else are you gonna model your life around? Because if it's not a pastor, then it could be a corporate leader, but they fail just as much. They get found out just as much. I mean, are they really the people that you wanna invest your life into, your time into? Are they the ones that you want to be the leader of your life that you want to follow? Or a politician? I mean, the, I'm not upset at democracy, 
But I do think we idolize politicians maybe a bit too much. A group of people known and defined by their hypocrisies, and yet we put our faith in them. We let them define our beliefs and our values. Instead of looking and exploring what it could mean to follow and define our values and our life by Jesus, a perfect human being, at least to figure out if that's actually true about him, that he could be a perfect model for how we're supposed to live our lives. That's why we need Jesus, because Jesus embodied everything he taught. Jesus embodied everything he taught. Christ-like leader, a Christ-like leader should embody the values that they teach. We have to embody the values that we teach, that we say, that we help people to understand. That's, that's what a good leader does. A good leader embodies the values. And we all must do that. We have to practice what we preach. We can't be parents. Some of you are parents. Some of you have that honor or responsibility or, or, or maybe you're um, you know, taking care of uh, someone in the foster care system or uh, a, a caring for someone from another family for a period of time. We can't expect kindness from kids when we yell at them, can we? Is that reasonable? Why is it okay for them not to yell back at us, but for us to yell at them? It's hypocrisy in, in its purest form, right? Leaders, I've had this. I've worked at a company that did this. It was like the most important thing for us as a company is to become a billion-dollar company. That means I'm expendable. That means I don't care. You've maybe worked for an environment that was all about the money or all about cutting money and budget cuts and all that stuff, and it just... And then they turn around and they say, we really appreciate you and we really care about you. And you're like, yeah, but <laughs> you just cut my pay. Doesn't, doesn't work out, does it? Or Christians, right? We live how we want. We believe what we want. We do what everybody else does in our you know, social circle, in our political circle, instead of really asking, what does Jesus want? If I'm claiming to be a Christian and Christianity is the most important thing, why am I not doing that? Well, because we're not embodying the values that we teach and we preach and we tell everybody about. Why, think about this, why are we afraid to do that? To embody the values that we aspire to. The values that we tell everybody we stand for. Why don't we do that? Because if we don't, then it's really just, we're living a lie. And a Christ-like leader embodies the values. A Christ-like leader embodies the values. And, and you see this on occasion throughout the world. Some really cool stories, and I have a lot, but, but just a couple that really stood out to me. Um, Southwest Airlines, and, um, the, one of the first pioneering CEOs, um, was originally the founder of Southwest Airlines executive assistant, and her name was Carol Brett. And Carol was executive assistant to the founder of Southwest Airlines at his law firm. And when he stepped down, he named Carol as the new CEO, executive assistant, all the way up to CEO. And when she became CEO, not only was she the first woman 
of a major airline to be the CEO, but she really embodied the value of a people-centric model. If, if you've ever heard that Southwest is all about the love, L-U-V. Literally on the stock market, their stock market ticker is L-U-V. Nothing to do with Southwest, it's love. That's what they wanna personify. And she established that culture more than anybody else over her tenure. She would literally call customers back that had concerns and complaints herself. She would write handwritten thank you notes to employees and celebrate them in big and meaningful ways because she cared for them and she wanted to embody the value of love that she expected everybody else to. She embodied those. I've talked about um, um, uh, Horst Schultze uh, before. He's a German guy who started... um, Uh, the Ritz-Carlton. He was one of the founders of the Ritz-Carlton. And he wanted to empower his employees to love on there, to care for their guests, to make amazing experience for their guests. And so he said, I'm not just gonna do this myself. I'm gonna empower you to do this. I'm gonna live it. I'm gonna model it, but I'm gonna empower you. And so he went to every employee of Ritz-Carlton, everyone from you know cleaning staff to kitchen staff to front desk staff, and said, here's $5,000 a year that you have to spend, no questions asked, to help guests. If a guest says they need something, you can go out because you got $5,000 to spend. How about that for empowerment? How about that for embodying the values, actually practicing what they preach? So Taylor, if I, if I just embody the values, then I'm a good leader. A better leader. But this is one of many things that you can do. And in this series, we've talked about six things that you can do specifically. And each week, we've talked about one in particular. The last five weeks, including this week, we've really highlighted five main core parts of good leadership. And Jesus actually says what this is at the end of this whole section on hypocrisy. Jesus gives us a solution for hypocrisy and gives us the basis for good leadership, his leadership at the end of this section as he points out, um, or midway through, excuse me, uh, this chapter as he calls all these um, Jewish leaders out for their hypocrisy. So I'm gonna read it and I'll kind of talk through it um, as, as we go along. So here's what he said. Um, Jesus said, uh, and they tie, they being the Pharisees, they tie up heavy burdens and lay them on people's shoulders but they themselves are unwilling to move them with so much as a finger. I mean, have you ever had that? Somebody expects a lot of you, but is not willing to raise a finger to help you do it? Hypocrisy. And they, these Pharisees, do all their deeds to be noticed by others. For they broaden their phylacteries and the length of their tassels of their garments. You're like, what's that, Taylor? Sounds like a weird word. I'll explain it. This is what this is. If you ever go to Israel with us, hopefully next year, they actually just started doing trips this past week um, back to Israel. Um, this is a phylactery. Um, and you're like, is that, is that a real thing? Yes, it's a very real thing. If you walk around Israel on a daily basis, um, Jewish men will have the black box on their, on their heads. And Jesus is saying, you try to make these really big, almost like a unicorn, so people can see how good you are. Because in each box right here, there's a bunch of scripture that's tied up to like help it sink in, if you will. And then there'd be tassels. And you'll see this too, depending on the, the, um, the type of uh, uh, Jewish 
group that a person adhered to. They'll have long tassels hanging down from their clothing, essentially as a statement of their religiosity. And Jesus says, you're trying to do this not because you actually care of what's in that scroll, but so that other people see how you care. It's about your image, not about what's in here. He goes on, and they love to place... uh, uh, And they love the place of honor at banquets and the seats of honors in the synagogues. They want to sit front and center. They want everybody to see them. Again, it's a thing. And the personal greetings in the marketplaces being called rabbi or teacher by the people. But as for you, do not be called rabbi, for only one is your teacher, God. And you are all brothers and sisters. You are all students. And do not call anyone on earth your father, not trying to call out any particular religious group, but we have large groups of religious, even in Christianity, that go out of their way to call the person on stage or at the platform, Father. Do not call anyone on earth your father. For only one is your father, he who is in heaven. But we don't notice this, do we? We slide it to the side, we ignore it, we justify it, and we don't follow it. But what if we just followed it? Do you think that could change some of the problems within the church today? Do you think that could change some problems in here for us today? And do not be called leaders, for only one is your leader, and that is Christ. Do not go, telling, go, go around telling people, I'm a leader, I'm the leader here. You are a leader, but don't go telling people you're a leader, because you need to be pointing people to the one who is your leader, and that is Jesus. You need to I'll get to it. I don't want to spoil the end. Sorry. I was about to spoil the end. But here's what he says next. The greatest among you, the greatest person among you will be your servant. And all who exalt themselves will be, and this is a word I was going to use, humbled. And all who humble themselves will be exalted. The people who are the most humble, they're the most exalted in a room. Not the ones going around telling everybody how great they are and how good they look and how powerful they are. The greatest among you will be your servant. That's that's the greatest. The best among you is that. That is the ultimate definition of leadership. In fact, that's Infuse's definition of leadership. Leaders serve. That's our definition. Leaders serve. And serve is actually an acronym for literally everything we just talked about. Serve is an acronym. Do we have a slide? I thought it came up. If we go to the next slide. Next one, sorry. There we go. They got out of order. Boom. There it is. Serve. It's an acronym. This is what we've talked about. Week two, week three, week four, week five, and week six today. That a good leader embodies the values. They embody what they They talk the talk. They walk the walk. A good leader values not just getting things done, but they value the relationship as well. They don't just care how much you accomplish. They care about you. They just care about you. A good leader is someone who reinvents continuously. They're humble, like we literally just talked about, that Jesus literally just said, a good servant is humble. They're humble and they're hungry. They just want to learn. They have questions and curiosity. They don't walk around asking and acting like they know it all. They want to get better. They want to change because some of the solutions that happen in your 20s are not the same solutions you should implement in your 40s. 
not only because times have changed, because you've changed. You're reinventing continuously throughout your life. You engage and develop others. You say, hey, how can I help you? How can I serve you? How can I better you? Not me. I'm not here for me. I'm here to help you. And by helping you, you'll actually help yourself. You'll actually grow. And you share the future. You don't hog the future. You don't make it about you and all the money you can make. You share that with others. You invite other people into it. You want this to be a group, a teamwork, something that you can all achieve together. Because when we don't embody the values, we don't build trust. When we don't embody the values, we cause conflict. Because people are left there scratching their heads. You're doing, saying you're doing something you, you don't actually, you're preaching something you're not actually living. And it causes conflict. Because when we don't value results in relationship, we miss something. We either miss the person behind their accomplishments or we forget to hold that person accountable for what they committed to doing. And we just have people running around without accountability and, and that's, that's not good. <laughs> that's dystopian. You miss accountability. When you don't reinvest continuously, you're not growing. You're not changing. You stagnate. And nobody likes to do that. That's why I think some people get down on themselves because they're not sure where they're going. They're not, they're not sure where they're, where they're trying to get better and, and be empowered. If you're not pouring into others, you're not helping yourself. You're becoming selfish and short-sighted because you're not sharing the future with others and engaging and developing them. But when we do all these things, we're really, as we've talked about for the last six weeks, we're living a Christ-like Life, and we're leading others accordingly because a Christ-like leader serves. And this didn't all just come from me, by the way. This is a slightly modified version of what the um, high-performance leadership team at Chick-fil-A determined from a lot of research. You're like, Chick-fil-A? Yeah, Chick-fil-A. They literally have like a president or vice president of leadership or of high-performance leadership at the company because they care so much about that. And you kind of know it too, right? Where does that kindness come from in general when you eat? They're, they're no different than McDonald's or Wendy's. They're just a fast food place, but there's something different, isn't there? Because underneath of it all, they believe that leaders serve. And this is based on research and it's based on what Jesus did. And you kind of know that there's truth to this. When you look at it, don't you? You kind of know that, that if you think of the people in your life this week, think of that, who served you, who went out of their way for you. They did one or two things this week that you really noticed and you were really grateful for. Someone in your life that because of their proximity to you, because of something they did, you felt strengthened and encouraged and supported and cared about and celebrated. They made you feel more important than themselves. Doesn't that feel good? If you had someone in your life that was doing all these things, wouldn't, wouldn't you feel pretty darn good? Yeah, but Taylor, what if I got somebody in my life and they don't do these things? What if my boss doesn't do these things? In fact, they're like the opposite of these things. Then you bring these things to the table. You do this. You serve them. If it's safe to do so, you serve them because these will change the trajectory not only of your life, 
but they just have this amazing impact and influence into the lives around you. And it will change. It has the potential to change the situation. It's not a guarantee if people don't want to, but it could make a real big difference. It gives you a path forward. Because imagine, imagine if we all did this. Imagine if you went to work tomorrow and everybody there, you walked in and they're like, hey, how can I help you today? And you're like, no, how can I help you? And they're like, no, no, no. How can I help you? No, 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 seriously, how, how, can, I, how can I help you? No, I wanna support you. No, I wanna, I wanna develop you. No, can I engage and develop you? What if, what if we just all tried to outserve each other? Do you think we'd have so much room for war in our world? If everyone was just trying to outserve the other person, do you think we'd try to take out other nations? Do you think we'd be so bent at harming other human beings? Do you think if everybody was just trying to outserve you at work, your workplace would be more enjoyable, more fun? Do you think you'd be more confident if your family did this? Your spouse was like, no, let me get the door. No, let me get the door. No, I want to get the door for you. No, why don't you just let me do dishes tonight, honey? You just go sit down, turn on a show. Just relax. I'll get dishes. I'll even do laundry, mop the floors, clean the toilets. Because I'm just a servant leader. We had a yes in the room. Maybe some amens online. I don't know, right? This is how it's supposed to work. In the creation story, Genesis 1 and 2, this is how it was supposed to work. This is God's kingdom. This is God's kingdom. When leaders define leadership by serving one another. And we know that because that's what Jesus said. Jesus said, I came not to be served, but to serve. And he punctuated it by how? He gave his life as a ransom for many. He paid the ultimate price of service to others so that others could live. We talked about that in week one. We're coming back to it to get today. How do you leverage your power? How do you leverage your influence? I leverage it for other people. And Jesus did this to the extreme so that you could know how much you are loved, how much it was worth to God paying off your sins, helping you to no longer have shame and knowing what it means to be a leader. Knowing what it means to be a leader because leaders serve. That's what leaders do. Leaders are willing to lay down their lives for those around them. And you know, that's the definition of a good leader. Those are the leaders that inspire you, not just up here, but in here. That's the kind of leader Jesus was and is. And that's the kind of leader we can be too. Because what other leader are you going to follow? What other perfect leader in all of history are you going to follow? I think a great option is Jesus. No matter where you are, I'd encourage you to think about it, to wrestle with it, to explore it, to maybe recommit to it, or to commit to it for the first time. And we want to help you with that. That's why as a church, we changed our mission statement. I shared this at the beginning of the series. I'll share it once more as we wrap this up. Our mission as a church is to create space for you to grow your gifts and become a Christ-like leader. And what's a Christ-like leader? A leader who serves. That's what we have retooled and will continue to grow and do as a church is to help you identify, to know your gifts and become a Christ-like leader, to strengthen 
what the talents and abilities that you've already been given. If it's encouragement, then we want to help you be an encourager. If it's a singer, we'll help you be a singer. If it's a, one of our awesome kids um, team members who pour into kids every week, we want to help you do that. We want to help you lift up the next generation. Why? Because that's what we're here for. We want to create space for you to grow your gifts and become a Christ-like leader, a leader who serves. Because isn't that the type of leader that we want to follow? We want to be leaders who serve because in the Christian church, at least, our leader, Jesus, served us first. And that's how we want to live our life. And I invite you to do that. We're going to take communion here. Um, and uh, if you want to participate, you're welcome to. At home, you can grab the elements around you. Essentially how this works, um, you can take the uh, top, you can take the top list lid off there. And there's the bread. And uh, in communion... Uh, it's a time of remembrance. Um, it's a time to remember the love of Christ. It's time to remember that Jesus served us so much that he gave his life as a ransom for ours because that's the kind of leader he was. And so we consume this as it is a part or becomes a part of us. That's why you eat it and you drink it is it becomes a part of us. So we remember and we invite it to become a part of us, become a part of our hands, become a part of our mouth and our words, to become a part of the eyes that we see, the hands that we embrace each other with, the words that we can encourage people with. That's what we do in communion. And so if you'd like to participate with us, I'd invite you to do that. Because on the night in which he was betrayed, our Lord Jesus took the bread and gave thanks for it and broke it and saying, this is my body broken for you because I love you and I am here to serve you. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup and after giving thanks, he said, this is my blood shed for you. Take this in remembrance of me. If you would, pray with me. Heavenly Father, Lord, thank you. Thank you that you're not a distant God, that you're God who came to earth in the form of your son to show us just as much, show us just how much you care about us, how much you love us. And you didn't just come down for a minute to fix it all, because we probably wouldn't even let you do that. But you came to model, to show us, to demonstrate it as a good leader would. You showed us what it meant to be a servant. And you punctuated it, as we'll celebrate here in just a couple weeks, through your own death and sacrifice so that others could live. Lord, help that to be the leadership that we embody. Help that to be how we model our lives. Help that to fill our hearts and our minds. Would you fill our hearts and our minds so that's how we love each other. Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom 
to remember this, to live this, to pursue this every day. In your name I pray, amen.